Will you go to the Lord with me in prayer? Great God, we bow before you in this morning hour to worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to be in church today. Thank you for our sisters and brothers, those folks in front of us and behind us and beside us. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather with others who name the name of Jesus and can support us as we seek to live for you, to grow in Christ, to serve others. Lord, we come from a variety of weeks. Some of us have had great weeks, and we're strong, and we're full of faith, and we're ready to worship you with lots of joy. And others of us are looking for work. We've got financial pressures. There may be relationship issues in our lives. And we come struggling, and we need a fresh word from you, a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of your mercy and grace. Still others of us come before you today broken. We've sinned. We've, we've intended to go one way, but we've gone another. We've disappointed ourselves and others, and God, we come to you forgiveness today, and we confess our sins to you, knowing that you are merciful and just and will forgive us of sins and wash away and clean us up and make us whole again, and so we come now. Father, as we click on our TVs or watch the news on the Internet, we are amazed at all the problems in the world. Here at home and around the world, more and more people are struggling financially. We wonder about institutions such as banks and others. And God, we lift up the leaders of our country and of our world, and we pray that you might bless them and guide them with wisdom, even as they face major problems. Lord, help us not to be of the crowd that grouses and grumbles and complains, but help us to be people of hope who seek solutions, who face tough times with your faith and your encouragement to us. Lord, as we gather the World Mission Offering, help us at this time not to hold back. Now more than ever, our missionaries need your support. Schools around the world that we support, hospitals and doctors and our partners in mission, those who are evangelizing and building churches, planting churches in new regions, uh, more than ever they need our support. And so, God, we ask that you would enable us to give generously, even sacrificially, to the World Mission Offering. Lord, as we gather now and talk about how we serve you together, uh, bless these moments around your word as we center on service to you. We love you, Lord, and thank you for meeting with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? You had a good week? I hope so. I have a dilemma today, and my wife isn't here to help me. She, I put her on a ship and sent her away. Actually, she had me put her on a ship and she said goodbye, but uh, she and her sister are out for a little cruise. They're having a great time together. And my dilemma was I didn't know whether to wear short sleeves and uh, keep up with Pastor Eddie here with my Target shirt. I mean, my 40 Days of Community shirt. We're just going to have the name changed afterwards and we can go to work at Target. So we're, um, we're hedging our bets here. But uh, anyhow, I didn't know whether to wear this short sleeve shirt or keep my jacket on because I'm afraid somebody might be disturbed about my injury here. Uh-huh. So let me explain, and if this bothers you, I can put on long sleeves, I guess. But uh, I was out with my son and his group, about 15 of us, on our bike ride Wednesday night, uh, Monday night, rather, out in Santa Clarita. The ride was over. The racing was over. I felt great. We're just cruising back to the shop. And some guys are behind me, and I'm rolling down this hill. Brand new pavement, no traffic. And I'm looking back, you know, where are those guys? And I'm just kind of coasting along, and bang! The next thing I know, I'm on the ground, my elbow gouging into the pavement. And uh, I hit a hole. Somebody had carved, cut a hole, some worker, in the pavement like this. 
and it's about this deep, and I just smacked into that, didn't see it, and down I went. Three-point landing. I landed here, and you, did you want to see my knee? No. What about, uh, no. All right, but anyhow, kind of a three-point landing, and I'm okay. And I said, well, if this is as bad as it's going to be on the pavement, I'm, I'm, I can deal with this. Nothing broken, so, and more importantly, my bike was okay. So, uh, good news all the way around. We are in uh, the fifth week of 40 Days of Community. Where's our banner, Eddie? Outside. Outside. I'm gonna, I was going to use it. Anyhow, we're talking about serving together. And uh, this is week number five, and I want to talk to you about uh, how we serve together. And so we're going to uh, do that. But before I get into the message, uh, I am excited about next Sunday, and I want to encourage you to be here next week. First of all, the first Sunday of the month at First Baptist is what? Communion Sunday. So we're going to gather around the Lord's table. That's always great. But the second thing is, something is happening on November 4th. The election. Thank you, David. And next Sunday, I want to tell you how to vote. All right. So you be here. That's the name of the message, how to vote. And uh, if you're a little tense right now, I'm glad. Because that's the whole purpose here is to create some healthy tension. And uh, I have been waiting for this day for a long time. And so I want you to be here next week. Bring a friend. They'll be glad. They're, no matter who you bring, I guarantee you they're going to be glad they come to church next week. Because we're going to talk about one of the major decisions that you and I are going to make this year. It's huge. And so I, I want you to be here. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be here. And uh, I, I kind of would like to start in now, but I'll wait a week, okay? So you'll be here next week? Yeah, some of you are afraid. I can see it. It's okay to be tense in church. That's all right. Anyhow, uh, just wanted to remind you to be here next week. Now, in 40 Days of Community, we've been repeating this statement, we are better together. And this morning, I want to talk to you a bit about team. Now, if you've grown up in church or been in church a long time, you've probably heard this expression, you're not saved to sit, you're saved to serve. And when people go through Class 101 here and consider baptism and membership at First Baptist, what we always say is when somebody asks you how many ministers does First Baptist Pasadena have, you should say... At least 200, because we are all ministers. The word minister simply means to serve, to be a servant. And so when somebody says, well, how many ministers are at your church? You should say, oh, we've got about 200, 250. Now, the pastor's job is to help the membership be equipped and motivated and inspired and trained so they can do the work of ministry. And so we are all ministers, and we're talking today about how we are going to serve together. Now, I hope you'll pull this out because you're going to need it along the way. And I want to go over some just foundational statements. We're not going to spend much time here. But um, first of all, there's a scripture that kind of cements everything we're talking about together. And it says this, uh, agree with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. And that phrase, working together, is what we're talking about today. Now, number one, in God's household, we, we are all family. And the Bible often terms the church or speaks of the church as God's family. And so we are family. Would you read this verse uh, with me together under the scripture, we are family? You can read it off the screen or off your notes. Uh, We are working together as God's partners who belong to God. So we're family. Number two, we need each other. We need each other. 
And there is a tendency sometimes, and especially in our country, to think, I don't need anybody. And to be like the Lone Ranger, to fly solo, all this heroic individualism. But the fact is, God has created us to be together, and we need each other. So let's read this scripture together. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of Christ's body. But as a chopped-off finger or cut-off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? Now, the fact is, if you cut off your finger, that finger will die. And it also becomes useless. And you and I may desperately love Jesus, but if we are cut off from his family, not a part of a local fellowship of faith, we're not going to physically die, but we're certainly not going to grow and mature as a Christian because God has put us together to be in a family. Now, number three, we get more done. That's just a pragmatic fact. We get more done together. Let's read this scripture. Two are better off than one because together they can work more effectively. Now, this morning as we uh, are together, I want to talk to you about teams. And I'm going to actually do something I've never done before in my life. We're going to have a tag team sermon. I went on the Internet and I got a, I got a bunch of photos of, uh, you know, this worldwide wrestling or whatever it is, tag team. I'm sure you all watch that, right? If you do, don't admit it. Um, but I decided none of those were appropriate photos, so I'm not going to show them. You can just relax. But we're going to have a tag team sermon. First time I've ever done this. I'm kind of excited about it, but uh, I'm going to bring the first point to you. Then Jennifer's going to come up and bring uh, another point, and then Pastor Eddie, and we're going to kind of roll through it like this. Sound fun? So let me get on. We're going to talk about team, because when we serve together, we serve in teams. Now, you may, have, you may think of team as, as your family. That could be considered a team. You may be in work teams or school teams. You may be uh, in a small group here, and we could consider that a team. Here in the church, we have a choir. That's a team that's involved in music ministry. Next Saturday, I hope you'll show up. We're going to have a team of people paint part of the gym. No ladders. You don't have to be scared. We're not going to go up high, but you could serve on that team for a few hours to paint in the church. That's a team. So there are all kinds of ways in which we use teams. And this morning, we want to use the word team to talk to you about what does it mean to have an effective, efficient, Christ-honoring, serving team. And I'm going to work with the word T here. The word T. The word T stands for trust. Teams have to have trust. The Bible says many people claim to be loyal, but it's hard to find a trustworthy person. Trust is knowing that you can count on me and I can count on you. Trust. Let's think for a moment about trust. Are you a trustworthy person? Now, my mind is a little fuzzy about the details, so don't hold me to them, but um, when I was very small, I would say two or three or four years old, my dad used to set me up, and it seems like it was on the refrigerator. Now that I tell you, that seems crazy. But anyhow, he would set me up on a place a little higher than he was, and he'd, and he'd say, well, jump or fall, and I'd sort of rotate forward, and, you know, he'd catch me. It, you may have done that with your kids. Your fa- father may have done that with you. But, you know, you're, you're up somewhere, and somebody says, catch me. And as a child, it's kind of a thrill to fall through the air, and you're scared, and you get caught, you know, and you keep doing that over and over. And sometimes children will do that as long as the adult will stand there, you know, play catch me. Now, suppose this. Suppose I'm a little guy, my dad's been catching me, and on a fifth or sixth try, he just steps back and bang, I'm on the floor, kind of like on my bike, you know. And he picks me up, and I'm crying, and I've got skin knees and skinned elbows and a bloody lip, and he says, now, son, I want you to learn something. Don't ever trust anybody. Wow, that'd be a rough lesson, wouldn't it? Now, the truth is, although 
literally, you may not have grown up like that. Some of us grew up in situations or homes where we learned not to trust. And that's very unfortunate. I love to shop at Trader Joe's. I go by there just to go by there. It's a cool store. Now, I like goat's milk, too, and I always have my cereal with goat's milk, and nobody sells uh, cheaper goat's milk than uh, Trader Joe's, $2.99, something like that. Now, suppose I go in there and I buy my little quart of goat's milk, and I get home and it's sour. Now, with, with me being the way I am, I'd probably just throw it out and wouldn't even worry about it, but maybe I'd take it back and tell the store, you know, this was sour, and they would give me a new one. But let's suppose that uh, I get my goat's milk, three or four of them are fresh, and then I get another sour one. And two or three are fresh, and I get another sour one. What happens? I no longer trust Trader Joe's. In fact, if enough of that happens, I just won't go back because my trust has been broken. Which leads me to this. I want to give you three points or three ingredients that have to do with trust. As we talk about a team, teams need to be filled with trustworthy people. And the first ingredient here is be consistent. Be consistent. Whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. Be consistent. Now, I was thinking back, when I started teaching the Bible, the first time that I remember actually preparing a Bible lesson and teaching it was in Kansas City, Missouri. And Joyce and I had just been baptized and joined a Baptist church. And the pastor, (laughs) as pastors are known to do, spotted us and said, hey, I need somebody to teach the third grade boys. And there were, I don't know, three or four or five or six of them. And he said, Steve, I'd like you to do that. So I said, sure. So I began teaching the third grade boys Sunday school class. A little later on, he said, you know, Steve, we've got some college kids coming home for the summer, and uh, I'd like you to teach the college class. They didn't have one, but he said, I want you to start one. I said, no, that wouldn't work. I was in my early 20s. I was an apprentice plumber. I worked in heavy construction. And I thought, I, I don't want to, you know, I can't teach college people. Whew, scary. I know better now. But uh, anyhow, I, I said, no, I don't think so. But he leaned on me. You know, pastors kind of have that second conversation and third. And finally, I said, all right. And I would get up early. Uh, several times a week, I would get up an hour early to study my Bible and study my resources and try to figure out what to teach on Sunday, and I'd prepare myself. That was my second class. Now, I won't bore you from that time till now with, uh, you know, all the stuff, but you get the idea. We start out with little responsibilities. We do them in a consistent, trustworthy manner, and we get bigger responsibilities. And in your small group, you know, Consistency means showing up on time. It means if you said you're going to do something, you do it. Uh, that, that's consistency. I was very excited on Friday. I got a book I'd ordered. I heard Colin Powell interviewed a couple years ago by Bill Hybels, and it was just a really fun, fantastic interview. And he has a book that they referred to, The Powell Principles, 24 Lessons from Colin Powell. And I flipped it open um, yesterday, actually, and inside the cover, you know, a little advertisement, I read these words. And it has to do with trustworthiness and consistency. Colin Powell speaking, if you are going to achieve excellence in big things, you develop the habit in little things. Excellence is not an exception. It is a prevailing attitude. And that's what we're talking about, this consistency to be trustworthy. Now, what else? The second ingredient is being confidential. When we're in a small group and we share one with another, what's said in the small group stays in the small group. That's for us. It's not for everybody. And if you want your group to be more and more trusting, you have to have more and more confidence. You, you keep things in confidence. You keep secrets. You don't go home from your small group and get on the Internet and say, Do you know what Steve said? <laughs> Do you hear about him and Joyce? No. 
you keep the confidence. That's a very unique and special thing about a small group. And that's also something that ought to be prevalent throughout the church. Let's look at the Scripture. It says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man or a trustworthy woman, trustworthy person, keeps a secret. How good are you at keeping secrets? When someone shares with you something very personal and important, do you keep that to yourself? Do you work with them, or do you broadcast it out there? Trustworthiness has to do not only with... Um, it has to do with being confidential. Now, what's the third one? The third one is being close. And what we mean by close is, uh, um, I want to use the word intimate or a very personal, a very close relationship. The Scripture says this, Friends love through all kinds of weather, and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. One of the Proverbs. Uh, at this presidential campaign, earlier there was a big conversation about who would you want... Let's go ahead and leave that... Uh, Last scripture up there, if we could. Uh, thanks. There's a big uh, conversation about uh, who would you want to answer the phone at 3 a.m.? You know, if there's a world crisis. Well, let me ask you, at 3 a.m., if you have a crisis, who do you call? You know, my dream is that we would have a church that's so strong and knit together that you might say, well, I've got a bunch of people in my small group. I could call any of them at 3 a.m., and they would help me. Because that's the idea that we build these close relationships, we're better together, and in times of crisis, I've got somebody I can call. It's those persons in my small group, or my Sunday school class, or I know in choir I'm cared for, and I could call those people at that time. We're close together, in thick and thin. So I want to encourage you, are you a trustworthy person? Because that's the first part of being a team member. Now, I'm going to hand it off to Jennifer, and if we could have that mic, Ted, uh, so that... Oh, you got it. Great. They're always a step ahead of me around here. Is that good? Thank you, Steve. Can you hear me? In addition to trusting, people serving together on a team must practice empathy. This word empathy is not easily understood, and it's actually pretty difficult to practice, but I want us to kind of make sense of what empathy is um, and how we can practice empathy. Webster's Dictionary defines empathy as the action of understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to, and vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experience of another. It's a good, complicated definition, and we'll come back to it. But first, I think hearing an example of empathy um, may help us to grasp what empathy is um, in a better way. Jesus is one of the best um, examples of empathy that we have in the Bible. Uh, besides the obvious empathy that he displayed by coming to the earth as a human and experiencing our feelings, Jesus also practiced empathy on everyday interaction with his team. We don't often think about Jesus as working on a team, but he did. We could even say that Jesus was uh, in a small group. His group most often consisted of his disciples, um, but it also extended to others who helped him with his purpose on earth to teach people about the kingdom of God. There is one particular instance where Jesus um, recruited someone to be on his team to spread the word of the kingdom specifically by empathizing with her. It is the story of the woman at the well in John 4, and maybe some of you know that story. Jesus finds a woman at the well in the heat of the day, 
And instead of ignoring her, like her, his society expected him to do, he engages her in a conversation, and that conversation ends up changing her life. He showed her that he knew all about who she was, that she had many husbands, and that she was living in sin. But then, instead of condemning her, he told her about true worship and revealed himself as the Messiah to her. She was amazed, and she changed her life, and then she participated in Jesus' earthly mission by spreading the news of the Messiah and the kingdom to her people. It's a wonderful story, and I hope you'll go home and read it. But you may be asking, how did Jesus show empathy in this situation? Let's go back to the definition of empathy that I told you before. Empathy is, first of all, being aware of or understanding others' feelings or experiences. Was Jesus aware of the woman and her needs? I would say yes, he was. He knew all about her. But how? He took the time out of his busy, exhausting life of healing people and teaching people to sit down and talk with her in order to see who she was and what are the needs that she had. This is a great lesson for us. In order to practice empathy, we must slow down and look at the needs of those around us. Instead of getting caught up in our important work and our ministry in the church, all the things that we have to do in our lives, we need to stop the flurry of our activity long enough to notice the people around us and what they need. This is very hard for many of us. It's very difficult for me. I have so much going on in my life. I have two kids under the age of three, and then I'm a wife, and I'm a teacher, and I work at this church, and I'm in school. I have so much in my life. I could just get so caught up in my life that all I see is myself and and, and what my life and my family is doing. Um, But we can't do that. We have to stop and say, what is going on around us? The people that are near us, what is going on in their lives? Um, We have to slow down. Um, And it's necessary for us to do that in order to be empathetic with others. So to practice empathy, we must slow down. What is in the next part of the definition that I told you? Um, Empathy is being sensitive to others' feelings or experiences. How was Jesus sensitive to the woman's needs? He spoke with her, he asked her questions about her life, and he had a conversation with her. When was the last time that you sat down and had a conversation with someone in your small group or someone in ministry with you here at FBC and just asked them about their life, what's going on in your life? Um, We may miss vital opportunities to love and support someone near us if we don't ask them what's going on in their lives. So, Second, to practice empathy, we must ask questions. Now, the last part of the definition of empathy that I gave you is to vicariously experience others' feelings or experiences. Before Jesus gave the Samaritan woman the love and assurance that she needed to carry out the mission of God, he had to first experience what she was feeling. To experience that, he had to connect with her and try to understand what it was like to be her. Jesus started this process by first opening himself up to her. When he began to talk about who he was, then she opened up about her hopes and her emotions. So in order to truly understand and feel what others are feeling, we have to first show our emotions to them. I have found this to be really true in my life. 
Um, many of you know me, um, but if you don't know me, um, let me tell you that I'm a pretty open uh, person. I like to show my emotions um, in everyday life all the time and with anybody that I meet, pretty much. Um, because of this, I've noticed the tendency of other people to talk to me. Like sometimes people I've just met um, will tell me something really deep in their life, something they're feeling, something they're going through. And I always wonder, why on earth are you sharing this with me? Um, but when I stop and think about it, it's because I first opened myself up to them and they felt comfortable enough um, to open themselves to me. Um, I realize that this char- characteristics of, of showing your emotion and um, being open is is easy for me, but it's not easy for everybody. Um, To some of you out there, being in tight control of your emotions or keeping your feelings to yourself is a sign of strength to you. Um, You think it's a virtue to refrain from showing your emotions. However, if you do not show who you really are, what you feel, what you dream, what's important to you, you will have a difficult time connecting with others. Connecting with others is at the heart of empathy. Only when your heart is open and you are vulnerable can you empathize with others and meet their needs. Jesus did this with his team of people on the earth to carry out his mission. And we must do it as we serve others to fulfill Jesus' mission here on earth. So to recap, in order to have empathy with people around you, people that you work with, people in your team, people here at the church, um, we must first slow down. We must ask questions of the people around us, see how they're doing, and then we have to show our emotions to them. Thank you. Just out of curiosity, how many of you believe this morning that you have the actual gift of mercy? If you feel you have the gift of mercy, raise your hand. Any gift of mercy is out there. It's interesting. The past couple of years, the different churches that I've worked in, I've worked with a lot of people that have A-type personalities, like strong leaders, go-getters, and most of them have confessed that they don't have the gift of mercy. So this week when I was meeting with Pastor Steve and he said, Eddie, you know, we're going to do this tag team sermon. Do you want to talk on accommodation or do you want to talk on uh, empathy? And I quickly said, give it to Jennifer, because of course, just like those other folks, folks, I am not the most gifted person when it comes to uh Empathy. I mean, I try really hard when I talk to people. I say, you know, it must be hard. It must be very difficult. I mean, my wife's been working on me for 16 years. So that's not my strength. That is not my strength. That's why I handed off the baton to Jennifer to talk about empathy. What I'm talking about this morning is the A and team. The A and team. And the A and team is accommodation. Accommodation. And before I get into that, I just wanted to affirm this congregation. I wanted to tell you a little bit about this congregation. I started working here at First Baptist Pasadena last year in the month of October. October 1 was my first day. And within my first month of working here, the first ministry experience, major ministry experience I had with this church was Harvest Festival. And I was very impressed how literally the entire congregation stayed after church Everybody was running around, working together, getting ready for Harvest Festival. When I walked away, I looked at Don and I said, Don, this is a very special place. These are humble people that know how to work together. And as we talk about service this morning, as we talk about serving, we are literally talking about the very characteristic of Jesus Christ. When you're talking about being a servant, 
and you're talking about serving other people, and you're talking about service, you are literally talking about who and what Jesus Christ, who He is. And the Bible tells us in Philippians that when Jesus Christ came into this world, He didn't come as a prince. He didn't come as a great teacher. He didn't come as a great leader. The Bible says that He came into this world as a servant. And if we are truly going to be a team, if we're truly going to be a team, we're going to have to emulate the Master and truly be a servant from the heart. So we're talking about accommodation this morning. And um, the letter, the fill-in A, means accommodation. Uh, accommodation means to make space. And basically, if you were to ask somebody, what is the most special room in your house? You know, what's the nicest room in your house? Most people would, would tell you that the nicest room in their house is their guest room. So accommodate or accommodation is to make space for somebody else. Uh about a year ago, I went to my, my friend's house. He just bought a new house. I went to his, to his new house, and he said, Eddie, come here. I want to show you something. I said, okay, where are you taking me? So he took me into this room, and there was two chairs in there. There was a plasma TV, uh, nothing else. So it was kind of bare, and he said to me, this is the man room. I said, ooh, you know, where's the pool table? Where's the air hockey? Where's the dartboard? He goes, hey, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Well, the wife wasn't too happy with the man room. I went back to visit him yet again. A couple of months later, they converted his man room into the guest room. And usually the wife has the final say with that. You know, the most special space is going to be for guests. And that's what team is all about. That's what accommodation is all about, is making space for other people. So I'm going to go through a couple of points because I really don't have a lot of time here. And the first one is we need to accommodate each other's needs. We need to accommodate each other's needs. Now, how many of you, like me, when you're in a house or maybe you're in the hotel room with your wife or with the kids or whatever, that you like the temperature set different than the way the other people like the temperature set? Has anyone had to struggle with that, right? We all have these different temperature needs, right? I'm, I'm very hot-blooded. I'm like a heater. I don't even use blankets when I sleep, you know? And when my wife is really cold, she says, Oh, Eddie, I just love being married to you and sleeping next to you because you just radiate heat. You're just like a, a heater, you know, so of course, I like the air conditioning really low. I like the window open. I like the fan on. And of course, what? She likes the heat on. She likes to have the fireplace on. She has, likes to have all the windows shut. So this is something that I've learned. I've learned to accommodate her needs when it comes to heat. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We have to accommodate each other's needs. And that's what we're going to be uh, talking about next week with uh, the politics and the, the election. You know, we're going to be a accommodating different needs. You may believe the need is with the war, the need is with the peace, or the need is with the economy. Anyways, good point uh, that one is. Uh, The next one is, uh, number two, uh, we need to accommodate each other's ideas, right? We all have different ideas. We have Republicans in the House this morning, right? We have Democrats in the House. We have Independents in the House. We have all kinds of people in the House this morning, and we all have different ideas. And we have to realize that it's not just us that has the best idea. Other people have great ideas. Uh, one of my favorite books uh, about Disney uh, talks about when Harold uh, Eisner, Michael Eisner, was the CEO of Disney. And he was meeting with his board. He was meeting with all the different executives and even lower-level executives. And one of the lower-level executive-type guys had this great idea. He said, why don't we put 
Disney stores in all the malls. That was like a brand new idea. And, and, and Michael Eisner as the head CEO didn't say, well, you know, who are you? You know, why, why are you even in this meeting? He was open for ideas to come from the bottom up. And it was this person's idea that really turned around Disney because they opened up these Disney stores in the malls. They were selling the videos. They were selling the games. They were selling the clothes. So let's just keep that in mind. Other people have great ideas. The next one, number three, we need to accommodate each other's personalities, each other's personalities. We all have different personalities. So there are basically four types of personalities. Uh, There's the person that's task-oriented. There's the person that's focused on goals and getting things done. The next person is kind of like me. is the person that wants to have fun. You know, I want to have a good time. The next personality type is a person who's an intellectual, right? Intellectual, kind of abstract. And then the fourth one is the person that's relational. So let me give you an example of how these four interplay with each other. Let's say uh, your small group says, you know, we're going to go to Mexico and we're going to do a service project down in Mexico. The task person is going to say, well, what are we going to do when we go to Mexico? Are we going to build an orphanage? So that person is going to focus on the task. The next person is going to say, well, you know what? I know a great taco stand where they sell fish tacos in Ensenada. That would be me. And we're going to go down there. We're just going to have fun. It's just going to be about having fun. Then the third person, who is the intellectual person, is going to say, well, why are we going in the first place? Are, are we really going to make a difference? <laughs> and, and then finally, the fourth person is the relational person. Is everybody getting along? You know, is everybody being nice to each other? So I kind of, I kind of go with that one. Uh, the last point here is how we accommodate each other. Is we accommodate each other's faults, weaknesses, and handicaps. Okay. And many times I've noticed, have you ever noticed a person that's always pointing out faults in other people is usually the most major fault they have with themselves. I've noticed that a lot. I've seen that tendency. You know, how many of you have met folks that are always pointing out the same thing over and over again about a person? You know, these people are like that, that person is like that. That's usually, you know, their issue. So let's just keep that in mind. When we point a finger to somebody, we also have three fingers pointing back at us. And um, anyways, we're going to show you just an, an incredible video that talks about accommodating someone else's someone else's uh, situation, and it's about a father and son. So it's a, just an exceptional video. So we're going to we're going to get that ready. We're going to show that to you now. Okay. We are better together, aren't we? Powerful video about together. Team. The T stands for trust. trust. The E stands for empathy. The A stands for accommodation. And the M stands for mission. The M stands for mission. When you watch the Devil Rays, or it's not the Devil Rays anymore, I guess just the Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays and the uh, Philadelphia Phillies, what is the mission of each team? Win Win the game. Win the World Series. Uh, when the quarterback takes the field today on any particular NFL team today, their mission is to, to win the game. Senators Barack and McCain have a team, and they have a mission. What's the mission? They want to become the president. Every team has a mission. Now, First Baptist Church Pasadena also has a mission, and I'd like to put our mission statement up, if we could, and I'd like for us to say uh, this statement together. Would you read it with me? Our mission. The purpose of FBCP is to make followers of Jesus 
who love, worship, and serve God. That's what we're about. That's our only mission. You can put it in a different way, but every church's mission comes out the same. We're to make followers of Jesus who love, worship, and serve God, who fulfill the Great Commission. Now, in order to help us do that, we've had a theme this year, and our 2008 theme is what? Connect 360. And we're challenging each other to connect with God in worship, in devotion, to connect with our church, to connect with our community, and to connect with ourselves. And it's based on Jesus' teaching to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, strength, all that you are, love God, and to reach out and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's the foundation. And you can say it in lots of different ways, but as we wrap up this morning, we're on a mission. And I've struggled to know, you know how, how can I conclude this today to talk about uh, trustworthiness and empathy and accommodation and mission. And I, I don't know about you, but I want to wrap up by simply saying, I'm glad I'm on Jesus' team. I can't imagine who I would be without the influence of the church in my life. Pastors who have taught me, Sunday school teachers who have taught me, Christian counselors who have counseled me, people who have prayed for me and prayed for me and prayed for me. Who would I be without the team called the church around me? I cannot imagine my life without the Jesus team. And I'm thankful for the way this team has been helping me to follow Jesus, to learn the Bible. Today, uh, throughout the Sunday school classes and now, several hundred people were taught the Bible. That's part of a team. This afternoon, we're going to gather to bless people here in Pasadena with this great celebration we call the Harvest Celebration. Kids are going to have fun. People are going to know it's a good to be in God's house. It can be a great experience. Our team is doing all kinds of things. Our world mission offering is literally going to go around the world, partnered with other churches, to help things happen for God and good that could never happen without that. So I'm glad to be able to say that I have a small part in literally life-changing experiences around the world. Doctors in Haiti and Nicaragua, schools in India, Bibles being printed in China, all kinds of ministries that go forth because we're on a team. So this morning, as we wrap up the word team, every team has a mission. And our mission as a church is to know Christ and to make Christ known. I'd like for you to stand with me, if you would, and let's have a word of prayer and just ask God to bless us as we serve together today and in the days to come. Lord God Almighty, uh, you have a mission, and we are allowed, through your Spirit, to join you in mission. Father, I pray that you would help us to realize how much better we are together, how iron sharpens iron, how we need one another to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Thank you for today. Thank you for the encouragement to be a trustworthy person, to be an empathetic person, to accommodate others, to embrace others, even that are different from us. And lastly, thank you for the reminder that we're on a mission together. Would you be pleased to bless Pasadena this afternoon as we reach out to our community and in the days to come? In Jesus' name, amen.